1: Welcome to Dear Hank and John. as I
0: prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank.
1: It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. I had to take my lizard back to the store because it was always, uh, it would never like use all four of its legs, which was weird, and mm. also it never stopped telling bad jokes. And I took it back and the guy said, "Ah, that's not a lizard, that's a stand-up chameleon. <laughs> it's... It's not it's not great. That's I know. I had to bring one that I had to bring I had to bring some some yeah. like weak game yeah. so that people appreciate it when I bring the strong game cuz sure. if it's not really a dad joke unless you go ah. Right. So right. I I feel like I've been they've been
0: too good lately. So we've been away for a few weeks Hank. Uh, we've been on vacation. Uh, I'm sort of uh, we've been on vacation <laughs> from this part of our job at any rate. Yeah. And uh-huh. I've missed it a great deal. I haven't missed the dad jokes, but I've missed talking to you. I've missed, missed, missed being able to catch up, missed, missed the questions from our listeners. Most of all, missed the news from from Mars. Don't get a lot of Mars news <laughs> when you're not around.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I also, I, I miss the chance to discuss hot take issues and... I, it made me think: Is there a place, either here or maybe in this weekend stuff, our Patreon-only podcast at Patreon.com/slash mm-hmm. Dear Hank and John? Is there a place for us to discuss hot topics, s- sizzling hot topics from the social internet that are at least three weeks old that everyone has forgotten <laughs> about? <laughs> can we? Re- I mean, John, I don't even know how to find those. Okay, so I have an idea, which is that when they are sizzling, piping hot, we write mm-hmm. them down, and then we wait yeah. three weeks. So I don't think that's how it works. Can I? I don't think that's how it works. I think that they just vanish. So I, I have, I have one. Okay. Okay. All right. I've, I've got one. It's three weeks old. It, it was, it was so warm. When it first happened, and now it is—it's uh-huh. ice cold. Nobody's talking about it. It's the perfect time to bring it back. So a few weeks ago, what well, you got for me? People got really angry, and I think with good reason that this documentary, non-fiction film, used Anthony Bourdain's voice to say things that Anthony Bourdain never actually said, oh. using one of these oh. AI uh, really voice recognizers that turns your voice into a voice yeah, that yeah, can yeah. say anything. And Anthony uh-huh. Bourdain is a celebrity sh- chef and and TV host who who has died and so this was done without his knowledge or permission because it was done after his death.
1: What That's is you, wild. I I missed that one. I was not around that day. What is your take, Hank, on how you would feel
0: if somebody took your voice after your death? and made you immortal or at least your voice immortal by like turning it into one of the voices of, uh, ask Google or whatever.
1: Well, I mean, so first of all, I'd be happy to have that happen. If, if like I, if you just like, if I just had to like talk into a box a bunch and well, frankly, I've talked into a box a bunch already, but
0: but man, we don't have to talk into a box a bunch because they have plenty of our voice, (laughs) right? Like,
1: yeah. We are some of the people
0: for whom this would not be challenging because yes, they correct. could just feed in Dear Hank and John, yeah, I think, and so, Blog Brothers videos and get everything we've ever said.
1: Yeah, so so the question is, how how am I slash my estate slash the these causes that I most want to support? Um, how do they benefit from that? Because this is something that I created. I made this voice. This is mine, right? And so I, I like so something like someone along the process should have benefited from this. So before I died, I should get paid, or somebody should be somebody should be getting paid. And I think this actually just happened with TikTok. They had to change the tick the voice of like the auto-generated TikTok captions because the person who spoke those words hadn't given permission TikTok to use their voice. Wow. Or something like that. Yeah. I don't actually know the entire story. So don't don't quote me on any of that. But I know that they had to switch it. And I think it was because of a, a voice rights thing. But, like, it's a very weird thing to – but this this does raise the question. If it's done by a machine, it feels a little bit wrong. But if somebody gets up there and, like, ju- like just makes a, a video playing Grand Theft Auto and doing an impression of Morgan Freeman, that's not weird. That's just a person doing an impression of Morgan Freeman while playing Grand Theft Auto. Because it's not their so,
0: actual – it's not Morgan Freeman's actual voice. It's somebody – Imitating Martin But is Freeman. it
1: distinguishable That's, from that?
0: That is fundamentally different to me than somebody taking my actual voice, words I actually said, reordering them, yeah. and then making it seem like
1: I said that thing that I didn't ever say. So, So what I'm okay with is having people take my voice and then, with everyone's knowledge, turn it into a thing that is saying different things. But, but what I'm not okay with is you take my voice and you make me say something and people don't know that that happened. And so now I'm narrating a, mm-hmm. a documentary film mm-hmm. saying a bunch of words that people think I said that right. I didn't say. That, that is a very important distinction. I brought all of this up, Hank, because I know that you're
0: wrapping up your will. And I am. I am very excited. Please hurry. Mm-hmm. You don't know. it's later than you think, to quote the Roman Sundials. And I think that you should just put in a little dependent clause somewhere that just says that. Just like... If you use my voice to say things I never said, you have to say that you're using my voice to say things I never said.
1: Do you think that Morgan Freeman will keep narrating documentaries after he's dead?
0: Oh, yes. Are you kidding? I think, like, Morgan Freeman's estate is hard at work securing... The permanent future, as is David Attenborough's, securing oh, the permanent God, yeah. future of the voice so that we can, you know, have David Attenborough 300 years from now. There, there uh, will never na- be another
1: n- person who gets to narrate no. a documentary film about nature again. Right, right. The, David Attenborough did it. He lived long enough.
0: Yeah. That <laughs> the long standing question, like, who will be the next David Attenborough, has been answered. It will be David
1: Attenborough <laughs> oh, in perpetuity. Oh, no, my God. Well, because like nobody could do what he does because no one speaks that way anymore.
0: Oh no, there's such a gravitas to his voice. It's incredible. Same with Morgan Freeman, right? So like, it, are these iconic voices just going to be sort of these semi-permanent iconic voices? It's weird to right? think about, but it's possible.
1: Oh my God. well,
0: wow. it's a, it's a, um, okay and 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 as and as, and as quasi dystopian as that seems, there must have come a time, right, when somebody was like, "Hey, I wonder who the next Homer is going to be." And then somebody else was like, oh, um, no, I guess it's going to be the last Homer forever because we just wrote it
1: down. You're talking about Homer the poet. The oh, poet. you thought I was talking about Homer Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> and me and everyone else who was listening.
0: <laughs>
1: I do wonder. I mean,
0: yeah. yeah well, like, because maybe th- this maybe this Homer Simpson is also covered for the next 500 years.
1: D- that That's always been the thing. And, we, you know, you, you Kermit has been several different people, but like... Maybe someday Kermit won't have to be people anymore. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, probably. God. Because like you, you can have a human involved. It's not like you have to just say, like, write the words down and have them say it. Like, you can have a human deciding the intonation of the sentence. Yeah. It's just not going to be the person speaking. It's going to be the person sitting in front of the computer looking at the waveforms.
0: Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, thanks well. for coming to Freezing Hot Takes with Hank and John. I've got a different
1: one for this <laughs> weekend a, stuff after the pod. That's free. I mean, freezing hot takes, John. That's that's great. Thank you. You have you. Did you think of that
0: before you thought of the idea? Because it's such a good title. No, I thought of it as I was thinking of the idea. I should go on vacation more often. I came home with like seven ideas.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, I haven't gone on vacation in so long. Oh, my God. What's that even like? It's great. You get so many ideas. Oh, geez. Yeah. I've been to weddings or to visit family. And that is all I've been to, for I don't know. It feels like years. Oh Jesus!
0: Let's uh, let's uh, let's let's pull ourselves out of that spiral
1: and answer some questions from our listeners. Okay, this first one comes from from Rebecca, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, how deep is sand?" And while we're at it, what is below sand? Not Becca again, Rebecca. John, do you know how deep it the sand is? I feel like this is one of those
0: trick questions where, like, it goes all the way to the middle, or or alternately, it's like three inches deep. Which one is it?
1: Well, well, I mean, it doesn't go all the way to the middle, uh, but it can be like three inches deep, and it can be a, ver- a variety of depths. And what is under the sand? Uh, sometimes it's just sand that got so hard that it's rock now, but other times it's rock. Mm-hmm. So, like, it 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 wildly varies. Basically, mm. good to know. The other thing to know about sand is that uh, if the sea level goes up uh, five feet or so, mm-hmm. there will be like ninety five percent less of it on the beaches. Because sand, sandy beaches take a tremendous amount of time to form. And oh. they require a very stable sea level.
0: And why would the sea level go up?
1: Oh, you know, maybe the water just gets bigger.
0: <laughs> just the molecules if the water decides to have a third hydrogen.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's all of them added on a third hydro. They're just like, I'm going to be a different now. It uh, just swells up like a sponge. <laughs> and then, I don't know, that's what I've heard. <laughs>
0: that's what people are saying you know that's what people (laughs) i've heard that on facebook and a bunch of other places that water might get a third hydrogen molecule that would lead to the oceans rising yeah people are saying that all over the place something like that this next question comes Mm -hmm. from lucy who asks dear john and hank i'm starting at a new high school in september which is exciting is it is it or is it just terrifying (laughs) are you just trying to be positive i love though I love that.
1: Let Lucy believe that it's going to be exciting. I love that. Okay.
0: It's exciting, but it also makes me very nervous. Through much experience being anxious, I found it helps me to break things down into smaller steps and take them bit by bit. Oh, Lucy, you are a person after my own heart. That is also my number one strategy. Break it down into small steps and take them bit by bit. So here's my question. What is your best advice for morning homeroom on the first day of school? How do I find Mm. it? Where do I sit? Do I talk to someone or just pretend to read? What if they make us go around and introduce ourselves to the class? Dubious advice, much appreciated. In the sky, Lucy. Uh, John, do you want
1: me to tell you how I handled this situation? I bet you crushed it. Uh, Here's what I did. I thought about it a great deal. I rehearsed. Um, every potential avenue of questioning, yes. every potential outcome. I did bring Tic Tacs, and then I practiced what it would look like to open up the Tic Tac and throw one in uh, and then close it back up, because yes. that seemed like it was a cool thing to do. Very cool. I did, did, uh, did a, try to make my hair look as much like Wesley Crusher's as possible, and then upon arrival, was extremely and permanently silent. But I did find the room, so that's good. How do you find a room in a school? I don't know, Lucy. I have dreams about not finding rooms in schools, and I'm 41 years old. I do, too. I do, too. You're going to find the room.
0: It's going to be okay. That's the most important thing, is to remind yourself that this is going to be okay. You are not the first person... To have gone to a new high school. This is an experience that billions of people have had, many of them less Mm -hmm. qualified to do it than you are. It is going to be okay. Uh, And there will be systems in place to support your locating the homeroom class. That said, even though I agree, Hank, that like all of our plans fall apart the moment homeroom, (laughs) that homeroom bell actually rings. I still think it's helpful to make the plans because it's a way of kind of calming yourself, reminding yourself that you're going to be okay. The biggest thing I would say that you're not making space for here, Lucy, because I think thinking, uh, should I talk to someone? Should I read a book? I think you should bring a book just to be safe, right? Um, That's all helpful thoughts. and, But the biggest thing to remember is that everyone else in the homeroom class is having the same experience. They are also scared. They are also freaked out by the first day. They have also spent the summer worrying about this moment. They are also thinking about how to cleverly and coolly flick a tic-tac into their open mouth like <laughs> because because they yeah. are the main character of their story. And, like, they probably aren't thinking about you one way or another because they are so overwhelmed by having to think about themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean... The the picking of the book is a is a is a challenge, but here's what I'd say about the picking of the oh, book. Big challenge. Anybody in a homeroom who's reading a book has thought a lot about what book they've picked. Right. And they're probably also uh pretending to be halfway through instead of just starting it. Yes. So they're not even really reading it. They they didn't want to look like they're on the first page. So they've they've just skipped to the middle. So it looks like oh I'm halfway through books all the time. I would but definitely what,
0: bring a book that you've already finished just in case somebody yes. asks you a question about it. Yes
1: and yes. I would because I I think that, it, that 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 to some extent having a book in a homeroom is saying please ask me about my book oh because maybe this is a conversation starter that's ninety nine percent of what it's about
0: right yeah it's like when you open up a book at a coffee shop. You're like please please let this be the moment of the meat cute of my life
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I, I, uh, I was at the the splash park in Missoula, Montana uh, with Oren and somebody was reading a book called Vacationology. I think it was called. <laughs> Mm. Uh, and I was like, that, like, uh, I was like, this, this is a person who does not want to be at the splash park at Missoula, Montana, uh, or maybe, maybe this is h- how they're vacationing. Um, but <laughs> right? The, yeah. Uh, just the the idea. The, I, I, I very nearly was like, so, where do you want to go? But I didn't. I didn't do it. <laughs> Hank, I think this is a very fruitful line of inquiry. What if you had to go
0: to a tenth grade homeroom tomorrow at a new school, which by the way, is in the in the bottom 1% of places I would like to go tomorrow. But if you did, <laughs> what book would you bring? Because oh, it's got to be a book that communicates a lot of things about you simultaneously, even yeah. though, of course, nobody is going to notice. And so it won't really matter. Yeah.
1: But like, you notice. So what book do you bring? Well, I think the person comes up to me and they're like, so what are you reading? And I'm like, oh, this... I." I wrote this. It's, uh, it's my first novel. <laughs> oh, this this is an absolutely remarkable thing. Number 1. It really one, says New York a lot Times about bestseller. me. If if you want to know yeah. about me, this is really where you right. want to start. No, um And,
0: and I, I guess that's probably also the moment when your classmate says to you, "Um, I don't want to be rude or anything, but are, aren't you a 41-year-old adult? <laughs> and also, haven't you read that before?" Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> aren't there Wait, other you more important books book to class?
1: Oh man, trying I don't to know. Squeeze out 80 cents through a paperback purchase? Would you first would you do fiction or nonfiction?
0: It's a great question. I probably, I mean, certainly in high school, I would have 100 percent done fiction. Now I think that I would probably yeah. still do fiction. Okay. What about
1: you? I don't know. I think I think that I I think that now and in high school the Regardless, I am trying to project that I am a nerd interested in science, and so mm. either I am reading some hard science fiction, like like maybe something something from the Expanse series or Kim Stanley Robinson. I mean, I would read Kim's, I would have Kim Stanley Robinson if I thought that that was going to like attract anyone, but I feel like it's just it, it may, may be a little bit too obscure, uh, or some you know cool science like uh, the Cheating Cell by. Uh, Athena Actippus, I think, which is like a, you know, nonfiction book about how cancer works or something where it's just like, look at how smart I am kind of
0: book. Right, right. I might actually bring a nonfiction book, but it would be this book, An Island to Oneself" Self by Tom Neal, a guy who lived alone on an island for like 30 years, just as a way of trying to communicate to my (laughs) classmates, like, I don't need you guys. I'm good. I've got this book. I'm just on a desert island surrounded by 3,400 of my peers who terrify me.
1: They say no man is an island, but I have found it. But not this man. That's right. Oh, oh, um, I
0: see that you're looking over at me and my book. Excuse me while I execute this extremely
1: complex and sexy tic tac maneuver. I remember, thinking, I remember thinking about the tic-tac and then like I did it one time at school and I was like, that was a wrong call. That was super embarrassing. <laughs> it was so embarrassing.
0: Yeah, you, you, yeah, we all have those ideas and then when we actually do them in, in yeah. social
1: settings, I'm always like, oh no, oh God, oh, it was so transparent. Well, John, I have to say that even now I still have no go-to move to look cool, um, except I guess a blazer. I don't know. Mm, I've got nah. over a t-shirt. Is that going to do it? No, Ah. no, but I've seen you try. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this next question comes from Caroline who asks, dear Hank and John, I have misplaced the wedding invite I received for my friend's wedding, which is tomorrow. I don't know anyone else going to this wedding. How do I ask her what time the wedding starts? I hope they don't play sweet Caroline. Oh boy, I bet you don't. This
0: is a tough one. I think I have a solution. Here's the thing, Caroline- I'm going to be honest with you and say that you cannot text your friend um, to ask what time the wedding starts. Yeah. You, just, you just can't. can't yeah. Your friend is too, yeah, in too much an on. intense, intense moment, and you don't want to add to that. So I think I have a solution, Hank, and work work with me on this one. I think you show up at the venue at 10 a.m. Because nobody gets married before 10 a.m., right? <laughs> And if <laughs> uh, kind of like if your friend did get married before 10 a.m., that's sort of on them, you know, like like they sort of didn't yeah. deserve for you oh, to be at the God, ceremony.
1: I... <laughs> is, the, is it is there not a website somewhere? Oh, my God. this is. And then you just wait it out. You know, you just you, bring a bunch of Tic Tacs. Just have a picnic. Just, no, I I, yeah. I feel like that's kind of
0: a nice uh-huh. thing you can do for yourself. Like bring a book. Sit outside or sit in your car and just, like, have a day of you time. And then when you start to see other people show
1: up, be like, oh, I, I guess, guess it was at one o'clock. <laughs> uh, well, here's one thing that I do need to say to the world because I didn't appreciate it um, and I did not know this, and it got me in trouble. Weddings start— when they say they start. Yeah. I don't know why I had the impression that it would be like a movie where like, <laughs> yeah, okay, it says it starts at this time. Right. But they're going to be like, yeah. you know, you got to allow for people to like mill around and get a drink yeah. and have a chat. No, no that all happens before the, when the wedding starts. Or the after. The date, yeah. the time on the thing. The time on the thing is when the wedding starts and you have to be there then or you will miss one of your best friend's weddings, which I did. Yeah.
0: Not only that, but because weddings a lot of times only last like eight minutes. Yeah. If you're eight minutes late, like you you may miss the wedding. Yeah. No, I missed it.
1: I have straight missed it.
0: Now, my wedding lasted for at least six days. So there was was no risk of anybody, nobody, (laughs) no risk of anybody missing it. Oh my gosh! When that when that service ended, I I I felt like I, I I really did feel like I was a new person. I felt like my my life had changed, but mostly just I mean, because I a lot had happened. I'd never sat still in front of an audience <laughs> that large for that long.
1: Yeah, am I oh, am God. I right in remembering that like one person didn't uh, make it all the way through? Oh yeah, no one of my one of my
0: uh, good friends fainted. Yeah. Oh, it was uh, I guess the way I said that did make it sound like someone died. No one died. No, nobody died. Um, there was a hospitalization, but it was unrelated to, to the wedding directly. it it was it was just a... I <laughs> huh, I mean, I loved I loved getting married. I loved having all of my my friends and family there. I loved mm-hmm. being surrounded. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible day because you know that, you know, this uh, this group of people, will never exist again like we'll never be yeah. together again and and these people are wishing you well for your whole life the people who like loved you up in childhood and it's just an incredible moment yeah but all of that all of that said it is also really stressful to have that much attention on you yeah like it is and that's why that's why I, I kind of think you can't unless it's a small wedding and a really good friend I I wouldn't text. I would find another way.
1: Yeah, I'd find another way. There, if you know, if you know no one else, that's hard. Yeah, because because like it like. You got to do some sleuthing. You got to you got to like start and be like, can I get in touch with this person's brother?
0: Yeah. Who are they? Right. Are
1: their DMs open on Instagram? Yes. Like, you got to d- pull out all the stops. Yes,
0: that's a good solution. Just be like, hey, uh, brother of the bride, it's me, person you don't know. Shouldn't have left your DMs open anyway. Um, what time's the wedding start? <laughs> Funny story. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been to? I, I've been thinking. So I've been thinking about this a little bit, Hank, because. I know that the pandemic has deeply changed me because I've gone from being a person who frankly resented going to weddings 99% of the time to a person who is desperate to be invited to anyone's wedding yeah. and and yeah. will attend if there is an open bar and it is within like 45 minutes of my house if anybody listening to this is getting married wants me to come to their wedding i'm <laughs> watch available it. watch it i'm happy John. to be a guest um, <laughs> I, I will i'll even buy you a gravy boat but and that, that is, and that is a huge change in my worldview that has occurred over no. the last 18 months where, like, I am so ravenous for human connection that I will go alone to a wedding well, where I know no
1: one. Also, you and I just w- – the, the first wedding we went to after w- when we could again was a very uh, good wedding.
0: Oh, God. It was incredible. It, it was, was so it was good. Maybe it, the, I don't want to throw your wedding under the bus. It was a great time. And I certainly don't want to throw was, my wedding no, under I the completely bus because it agree. was wonderful. But – Hannah
1: and Ella's wedding was way better. <laughs>
0: it was incredible.
1: I mean, yeah. No, I mean I, I got back and I was like I was like totally recommitted to the entire idea of people. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh God. And that's and that's part of the magic of what weddings do, right? Like they make you feel hopeful and they remind you of the strange power of ritual and love in this world and like, yeah, they're great. They're awesome. And I, and I'm, I'm, and I'm ready to go to yours. I'm ready. Not yours, Hank. You, you don't ever get to have one again, but I'm ready to go to anyone (laughs) else's.
1: I do want to, I have been thinking like, how do I get, how do I get married to Catherine again so that we can get all of those people together? I'm certainly not all of those people together, but many of those people together again. Um, I just want to have parties, John. I want to have parties. Yeah. Like I want to do what Hannah and Ella did, but like. For my friend, for my friends, you can. Um,
0: you can. That's that yeah, is allowed. I, I, yeah, nobody's yeah. stopping so you. I'm just and trying to figure that out. And if you want to renew your vows, if there is an open bar, I will be there. <laughs> I think there will be. Even if it's like the kind of like yeah. second class open bar you had at your first wedding, where it was just like a bunch of <laughs> beer in a cooler, I'll still come. <laughs> no,
1: it was we had two kegs. Thank you very much. <laughs> And I was stressed out all night that we weren't going to finish them, despite the fact that that's like a totally normal outcome. Uh, yeah,
0: I was going to say like, what what would be the what would be the bad thing about not finishing them? Like having a less <laughs> drunk wedding party. <laughs> that I
1: that I purchased, I purchased oh, beer that did not oh. get consumed.
0: I've got a feeling that 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 beer gets used one way mm. or another somehow.
1: Oh gosh, I don't think so.
0: I don't know. Maybe I don't know how it works. I also don't, I don't know, know how, how it, it works. works. Okay, Hank, now that I've thrown out a wide net in search of wedding invitations, let's move on to this next question from Tunde, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I think I've just had my own sneezing is not normal incident. Oh, Tunde, we all have one one or two in our lives. I work at a medieval living history museum. Well, you really buried the lead there. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. In the future, if you want to get your question answered on Dear Hank and John, you really need to have, I work at a medieval living history museum in the first sentence.
1: (laughs) I mean, there can't be that many of
0: these. We could go find him. The other day at the archery grounds, I told a small child, you're going to shoot all three arrows all the way across the water. I can feel it in my bones. And then this child looked at me and said, with full sincerity... You have bones? It hasn't left my mind since. Did I meet an alien child? Is it normal to have bones? Do you have bones? Rather perplexed greetings, Tunde. Oh my God. So I have I have a theory about how this happened. Okay. But I, I want to hear your answer first. Hank. Um, Do you have bones?
1: Yeah, everybody has bones as long as they're like uh, out of the womb human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, yep, yep. That's sort of the definition of
0: bones. (laughs) So I think I know what happened here because I I had this when I was a kid. When I was a kid, Mm. there was a brief time in my life and I understood, I, I guess like, I had this thing when I was a kid where there were almost like two kinds of awareness. There was the sort of scientific knowledge that I was being taught in school, which I understood was true, but like just didn't resonate very deeply with me. And then there was like the knowledge of my imagination, which was incredibly powerful, so powerful that like I could live with all kinds of contradictions between these two worlds. And I remember thinking as a little, little kid that. Bones were what your body turned into after you died. Oh, but like,
1: like you like everything just like got like it melted sort of dried into up into a skeleton. a skeleton shape. Yes, like you Ooh, dried gross. into a skeleton. Oh, so we don't have bones. Bones are what's left after we're gone. In which case, this poor child must have been looking
0: at Tunde and thinking, "Oh my god, <laughs> it's some sort of zombie." <laughs>
1: Why is he, why, why, did he eat another person?
0: He's, <laughs> he's, where, he's. How did that happen? Oh God, he's, he's animated bones. It's It's my worst nightmare. <laughs> it's my biggest fear. And, it's bones come yeah, to life. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, that is a little bit troubling. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that we are bones come to life.
1: That's weird. Yeah. day also just uh, not really an answer to your question or involved at all in it. Tell me where your open air medieval history museum is cuz I'm looking for a vacation. Yeah. I would like to go on a vacation and maybe it's maybe it's wherever you are. I'm going to go to a wedding in Wabash, Indiana
0: and Hank is going to go to a medieval living history museum in I'm going to
1: guess Sweden? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm guessing Europe just because it's medieval living history. but I looked up a list of uh, open air living history museums and it's long. Oh, really So we have one here and we have one here in Indianapolis. It could be anywhere and if you're getting though, married there next weekend, I'll come though if we're going by <laughs> if we're going by where uh where it's most likely to be based on where there are the most of them oh. Tunde is in Germany. Because Germany is all about living okay. history museums. I all guess. right. Well,
0: there we go. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not willing to fly. I can't fly to Germany right now to attend your wedding. But I can, if I'm not doing anything on a Saturday. There's no Liverpool game, and it's after noon. I'll be there.
1: <laughs> oh my god, John! Uh, I love it. Love this for you.
0: How big of a journey have I been on in quarantine to be actively seeking social engagements with strangers, no less?
1: That is, I, I am, I am as shocked as everyone else. Um, I p- potentially, significantly more shocked than John is.
0: I, I feel like it's. I feel like I'm having a fever dream, and it's going to pass. Yeah,
1: I, I think that probably you will go to no, none of these uh, weddings, but I uh, encourage people to invite John. This next question comes from Lauren, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, I'm confused about how bees work. I understand that they are cheerful and buzzy." But uh, oftentimes the honey is advertised as being from a specific type of plant, like clover honey. How do you control a bee and tell it which flower to go to? Do you just have to, like, surround it by a monoculture of a certain sized radius? Is there a limited distance that the bees are willing to travel? Are they uncontrollable? And this is all just a clever marketing ruse. Please explain these bees. Lauren B. The bee does not stand for bee. Well... What does it stand for then, Lauren? It stands for Beth. She actually said that, and I didn't say it. Um, oh, okay. John, do you, did you know that there are specific types of flower honey? Mm, yes, yeah, because that's like a it's like a fancy thing. Like there's honey, and I think mostly think of honey as like honey, but like then you can get like fancy honey, and the fancy honey will tell right. you like, like oftentimes in Montana, will be like, this is napweed honey, which is a, right, right. a specific kind of flower, and uh, but we also have clover honey. And I looked into this um, and for what you need to know is clover honey is a specific, has a specific like flavor. And so you can tell, like if you're a fancy honey person, you can tell if the bees were mostly using clover flowers and uh, Mm. clover is a good flower for bees. They like it and they, uh, and there's a lot of it around. And so in certain places they do plant a lot of clover just to make good clover honey, which is a mild-flavored honey that a lot of people like. But it's not like only clover. The bees are also going to other kinds of flowers, and clover honey will taste different from season to season.
0: Okay. So it doesn't mean like these bees only interacted with clover. Yeah. It means this tastes like other clover honey you've tasted because these bees— had a bunch of clover available to them.
1: Yeah. Most mostly interacted with clover. Um and clover also I think blooms for a long time, which is nice. It does. Uh so, it does. so that that's also makes it a good bee flower. We have a lot of clover in
0: our emerging um what is what is the opposite of a monoculture? <laughs> I mean,
1: n- nature. Po- poly polyculture. <laughs> a garden?
0: Yes. It, <laughs> yeah. Right. In our emerging natural landscapes. That uh, that that we've been working on, which which actually reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by John Green's Clover
1: Honey. Ooh, John Green's Clover Honey. It's not like exclusively clover; it's just a, a, there's some clover in it. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by Slick Tic Tac Maneuvers. <laughs> slick Tic Tac Maneuvers. <laughs> no one's gonna know what hit them. They're gonna think, "Look at that man's hair!" Wow. And then they'll just be like, "Wow, are you single?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: The thought it's just that nobody nobody knew hank when he was 15 the thought of somebody going up to hank in homeroom class and I, I say this with tremendous affection and saying are you single it's the fun, single funniest thing i've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> like you throw back that tic tac and like every head in the class turns and is like oh, oh hello what? wow Wow. Uh. does that guy work out? No <laughs> Today's podcast is also <laughs> today's podcast is also of course brought to you by missing wedding invitations, missing wedding invitations an occasion for perhaps just like spending a morning alone in a parking lot just chilling out waiting
1: for uh, the wedding to start. And this podcast is also brought to you by Bones. Bones, you got any? You got some? We also have a Project for Awesome message from
0: Connor Mitchell, who writes, In high school, I watched Wimbly Wombly videos in hallways with friends. We'd never been much into real sports, but fake soccer had its appeals. Slowly and strangely, the real AFC Wimbledon captured my heart. And a few years later, I was yelling and singing in drunken bliss as Lyle Taylor Baby scored a hat trick at my first game. Wow. Thanks, John, and all Wimbledon fans for helping me be a part of this special club. Thank you, Connor. I hope you get to go to see a game at Plow Lane soon. That's super cool. My heart is a little broken uh, reading that, I have to say, Hank, because I really, really wanted to be at the first packed Plow Lane game. And uh, it's not going to happen. It's in two weeks. And uh, I just decided um, it's not... uh, not, 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 not going to work for me. Um, yeah. and for our family. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, someday soon, Connor, we will meet at a Wimbledon
1: game.
0: Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blueland products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash Dear Hank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash Dear Hank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash Dear Hank to get 15% off.
1: John, this next question comes from Jane, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why is white noise called white noise it just sounds like noise noise to me i can't sleep jane <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: it is it is a weird term isn't it
1: well it actually there's a, there's a specific reason why it is called white noise and and what is that reason so white light is light that is uh representative of all of the spectrums of visible light Pretty much evenly, oh, uh, so just like flat oh. spectrum of all visible light and white noise is a flat spectrum of all hearable noise. Mm. Okay, of all the different frequencies of noise, and they and there are other uh, noises that are represented as color. Like there's brown noise, and brown noise has like certain frequencies sort of like lower down and other frequencies ramped up, so that it's sort of a like has less hiss in it and mm. is a like has more lower end mm. uh, frequencies. Um, and apparently that's sort of analogous to brown. But there's also so th- so like this this idea s- extends to other senses as well. There is a a, a company that ha- ma- has made olfactory white. So it is the smell that just like if you add a bunch of smells together, you get this smell, hmm. which is very strange because no one can explain what olfactory white smells like. All of the researchers who who like try to tell you what it smells like always come up with different descriptions that have nothing to do with each other.
0: Oh, that's uh, that is very interesting to me because I am completely fascinated by how we apply language to smell. Like it is so much easier for us to um, apply language to sights and sounds and even like physical sensation than it is to to smell. Uh And I'm fascinated, as you know, Hank, I'm fascinated by the places where like language and experience just don't match up well. So it's interesting that olfactory white is a scent that, the people who designed it can't describe.
1: Right. We need, some, we need some more effective people on the on the task. Yeah. They should have sent a poet.
0: Indeed. <laughs> on the subject of white noise, though, I wonder if you've ever had an experience that I've had a bunch of times and I don't know quite what to make of. So sometimes the power goes out. And when the power goes out, you realize all at once that there was all this noise that you are now not hearing, this humming, this... Uh, kind of very high pitched high frequency sound and then there is like a new level of silence when the power goes out yeah are you familiar with this feeling yeah yes and for me even though like i'm stressed out because the power just went out and it's a bad obviously it's a bad thing and something has to be dealt with i feel in that moment immediately relaxed Like I like something inside of me, like like a breath I didn't know I was holding, to use the cliche, is released in that moment. And I've always wondered if that's just me or if it's like a common human thing that there's a certain level of like anxiety, background anxiety that just comes with this like literal background hum.
1: Hmm. I would not want to think too much about that because there's nothing to do about it. Well, walking outside. But yes, other than that, there isn't much to do about it. I can certainly hear the background hum of the truck that is parked in my alley right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I'm back in my podcasting studio at last, so I can hear the background hum of the heavy trucks moving along the interstate, which is, (laughs) I'm sure it's annoying for Tuna, but it's a huge relief for me to not have my children running around upstairs and screaming at me while I'm trying to pod. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, let's answer this question from Kelly, who writes, Dear John and Hank, someone on Twitter was at a dinosaur dig and mentioned that they uncovered a rib bone that had not seen the sun in 150 million years. Mm. I guess it's the bone It's the bone special, Hank. We are. <laughs> it's all skeletons all the time right now. <laughs> that got me to thinking, maybe that dinosaur became a skeleton before it was a fossil, so the bone did see the sun. But what about... My bones. Like, my ribs are currently inside of me. Does the sunlight penetrate my skin and tissue enough to reach my bones? Mm. In the middle, it's the middle of the night, but I cannot stop thinking about this. So I got up to write you about it. Have my ribs ever seen the sun, Kelly?
1: Well, Kelly, let me suggest some white noise. Uh, It was not working for Jane, but it might work for you. (laughs) Uh, So I thought a lot about this. Now, one thing I know is that if I hold my iPhone flash up to my finger, my finger turns, like, glows pink. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine some of those photons aren't getting to the little bone in there. So I think that probably, like, ribs aren't very, like, they they can be pretty surface level. Um, So I think probably some photons get to your ribs. But also photons definitely get to your ribs if you ever get an x-ray. Because that's the whole point. Right. Uh, Those little x-ray light photons, uh, not visible light uh we'll, well so like it, this is a semantic thing do you just mean visible light or do you mean uh any anything in the electromagnetic spectrum um you, then you definitely are getting getting hit by some photons there but sunlight um, and then that, has sunlight ever reached the bones right well this is that is a good point um and i i would guess yes but i don't know for sure but here's what i do know the reason why we keep our blood manufacturing factory inside of our bones mm-hmm. is because we want to protect that system, which churns out a huge amount of cells for your entire life. So it's it, it by far produces the most cells of any any part of your body, and uh, and so we really want to protect that from any radiation at all possible. Right and this is not a big deal for us because we have big, meaty legs and that's protecting it. But for our ancestors that had very small bodies and light could go right through it, they actually, this is why the blood production moved into Mm. the bones Mm. to protect it so that it wouldn't get hit by ultraviolet light Uh, that might uh, ionize some DNA somewhere and create a mutation. So, uh, so... Specifically, the inside of your bones are not only do not see light, but are designed to not see sunlight. Wow. So there's that. It's kind of beautiful to think that there's a very dark place
0: inside all of my bones. Yeah. Where my life is being made. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh wow, the we needed the dark. Yeah. Well, that turned out to be quite lovely, Hank. <laughs> Do you have uh, news from AFC Wimbledon for me?
0: Oh, I've got a time. I mean, Hank, it's been like th- five weeks. Do I have news from AFC Wimbledon? I have hardly anything else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, e- everything, everything has happened. But the main thing that's happened is that AFC Wimbledon have played um, all of their preseason games now. And preseason doesn't matter. It does not matter. These are games that we play as friendlies to try to, you know, check different lineups and figure out different combinations of players and different formations and whatnot. Um, That said, Mm. it has not gone well. Um, We, uh, we lost to Brentford who are in the premier league. So that's kind of expected. Then we lost to Kingstonian who are in the seventh tier. Then we lost to metropolitan police uh, who are also in the seventh tier. Then we tied Hampton and Richmond borough. Then we lost to Dartford, (laughs) Not not a great situation. Then we lost to Woking. There's a team <laughs> called Woking, and we lost to them. And we also lost to Scunthorpe. It was really it was really a, a tour of the <laughs> funniest place names in England. That's and how can we lose to each of them?
1: Uh, so uh, is there a, a reason why you guys are losing so much? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I guess there's two schools of thought about that. One is that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. These games are for learning. They're not for winning. Um, And the other school of thought is that um, the thing that these seven games have in common is that we uh, almost never scored. And it's hard to win football games if you don't score any goals. Mm. And so that seems to be an issue. And the answer to who is going to replace noted goal machine Joe Piggott Seems to be no, no one, no no,
1: no one. Yeah, no one is a bad answer to that question.
0: Yeah. Now, we have had some exciting signings since we last talked tank, including Henry Lawrence. I always love a person with two first names. That's always I think that's always a good sign. Um, And also Luke McCormick, both very young, very promising midfield players. Um, And so there's some hope there. And then there have been a lot of people promoted from the academy. We'll have to see how that works out. And then the other cool thing that happened is that 33 year old Darius Charles has returned to AFC Wimbledon. He played for Wimbledon um, during many of the League Two years, and I think was still playing for Wimbledon when we got promoted. And so he's back. But despite having one 33 year old player, AFC Wimbledon are still going to be, by a pretty wide margin, the youngest professional football team in England. Hmm. The average age of Wimbledon's likely starters is like 19 and a half. Oof. Yeah. Well, there's some there's some there's some kids. Can you can you lock them in for a while? <laughs> Maybe grow a bit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. Um yeah, I mean I I have no idea what's going to happen this season much more than any other season. I feel like just who knows? That said, I'm hopeful, you know, the spine of the team looks really strong. It's just like, we really, we, we have to have people, who, we, we we need somebody who scores goals. And like, I don't know, I don't know, I know Ollie Palmer, who was our uh, large forward last year, mm-hmm. he's healthy and seems like he'll be able to play hopefully a lot and score a lot of goals. But I don't know who that second striker is going to be. Right. And... Um, we're sort of running out of time here to uh, to sign one. I feel
1: like this is how it sort of always goes in the off season. There's a lot of like we really need, and then like a lot of it does. It's not happening. Yeah,
0: for sure. Now I think we I think we have. Ugh. I yeah no. I mean I it, this is this is the challenge of being a perpetually underfunded uh, football team. It's just going to be hard. Yeah. That said, Hank. The most beautiful thing of this preseason was in our final game of the preseason against Scunthorpe, there were 4,000 fans at Plow Lane, not a full stadium yet, but more fans sitting in one stand of our stadium than could fit into all of our old stadium. Wow. So it seeing the pictures brought tears to my eyes you know, people together watching football in a stadium that they built, that they own, that they paid for. It really is a a very special and and uncommon thing in the history of uh, professional football and something for fans to be really, really proud of. And on August 14th, if everything goes according to plan, Plow Lane will be sold out for AFC Wimbledon's home opener, I won't be there, but uh, I will be watching from
1: home and there in spirit. And
0: I, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to see it.
1: Awesome. Well, I hope it goes better than the preseason has gone. <laughs>
0: Me too. <laughs> I will say one more thing, Hank. Uh, the The great thing about the standings right now uh-huh. is that, as is the case most years. Oh yeah, we are top of the league. <laughs> <laughs> because it's alphabetical yeah. until that first game. And so, we are in
1: first place. Good work you guys. Well, this week in Mars news, uh so you have heard that there were that were these there was some evidence of un- big underground lakes. So like deep down the way that like uh ground penetrating radar basically was uh, uh, like bouncing around was telling scientists that it looked like there were big lakes of liquid water. Uh and this is exciting. But yeah, they there there are some other thoughts about the way that we must do science, which is like okay, but what else could it be? So there are uh, there are also uh, clay minerals that are would definitely be present in areas like this, and they decided to look uh, at what it would look like if that this sort of like same situation was instead of it being water was something called a smectite. I think, mm. uh, which is a clay mineral. And that's when eroded volcanic rock interacts with water. And then there's like a chemical change. It's like sort of a slight chemical change where it sort of gets like bonded up with the water. And those smectites are able to hold a lot of water. That's why, what clays are really good at. And they are uh, abundant on Mars. We ha- they, there are smectites there. And the researchers found that when smectites are cooled to about negative 45 degrees Fahrenheit, they could generate radar reflections similar to what the European Space Agency mm. found on Mars. They also found evidence of smectites in Mars's southern pole from visible and near-infrared data. So they theorized mm. that sm- smectites formed in the area during during warm spells, when there was water present, and then got buried under ice while being loaded up with water. Now, they aren't, this isn't proof that smectites are the fi- the actual final source of the reflectance, but they opened up a possibility and may guide future experiments to help us understand Mars's geology. So, we, at, regardless, this wasn't going to be water that you could just, like, drill into and be like, we got water. We can make, mm-hmm. but like, it was always going to have a bunch of stuff in it. Uh, so, even this is, it is water. It's just all bound up in clay.
0: Mm. So it's likely not the kind of lake of my imagination.
1: Definitely not the lake of your imagination. Okay. It's more like a wet rock. (laughs) It's like clay. Just imagine like clay that hasn't been been baked. It's
0: like clay. Uh, Yeah, come to think of it, we have have an analog for this on Earth that I can
1: picture quite well, and I I wouldn't want to drink it. There are ways to get the water out of it, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, there's plenty of water on Mars. Yeah. It was
0: always going to take a certain amount of, um, you know, chemistry and technology to turn Mars into a place that is comfortable for humans.
1: Is um, Is it a little bit less likely that there will be, like, a big pool of life down there? I guess maybe, but it was always pretty unlikely.
0: Right, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's part of, I, I, I just read this uh, great, for the for the Anthropocene Reviewed episode I'm writing right now, I read this great book by Alexei Leonov, who was the first person to uh, do a spacewalk, and also uh, relevant to this particular essay, The First Person to Make Art in Space. Oh. And he wrote extensively about, you know, the challenges of long-term space travel, and and how, you know, like we have to build systems, all of all kinds of systems that, you know, on Earth we just ev- evolved for. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's it's really hard to like like reverse evolve a planet for life versus evolving life for the yep. for a planet.
1: Yep. No, it's not gonna be easy, John. We should take care of this one. It's real good. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean also reading this book was the first time that I ever became like deeply aware that um one of the reasons that I'm able to breathe on this earth is that my lungs evolved for this air.
1: Yeah, they really did. Yeah,
0: which is just a beautiful thing to think about for me. You know, like it's yeah. it's lovely to think that this air, uh, I mean, you know, maybe 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 not this air, but <laughs> in general <laughs> It's still, to a, to a remarkable extent, this air, you know, my my lungs were made for this air.
1: Yeah, very much so.
0: But we're gonna figure out how to breathe that sweet, sweet, super thin Martian atmosphere any day now, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, and I'll be in, fully in favor of it on or after January 1st, 2028.
1: Seems unlikely. Thank you, John, for coming to, uh, to hang out with me for the podcast. Thank you to everybody who's sent in your questions to Hank and John at gmail.com. We wouldn't be anything without your questions. Have we answered everyone's yet? It feels like, it feels like they just keep on coming in. It's very exciting. Yeah. Please
0: keep sending your questions. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna It's produced by Rosianna Hals Rojas. And today, although not moving forward, she's moving on to other projects Sheridan Gibson.
1: Uh, our head of community and communications is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by The Great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.